Today we explore Megillat Esther Peregimel. Peregimel is split up into two sections. Pesukim Aleph through Zion include the fact that Mordechai refused to bow down to Haman. And the second section, which is Pasuk Het until the end, Pasuk Tedvav, discusses the Gezerah that Haman creates to destroy the Jewish people as a result of the anger that he has towards Haman. The Megillah begins. It was after all of these things transpired. Esther has become the queen. She had a party and all of the things that we saw in the last pedic. And Haman, I'm sorry, and Ahasuerosh gives a promotion to Haman. Megillah does not necessarily tell us why he got a promotion, but nonetheless he gets a promotion and the Basuk says that he raises him up. He raises him up. The Mifashim actually explained that it was the custom at the time that the higher in status you were, the greater the throne or the higher the chair that you had. And that is insinuated by the fact that it says, and he raised him up. And he put his throne, his chair, above all of the others that were with him. And Haman now becomes a person of high status. The reason he's called Agagi, a few uh, ideas are offered. One is that he's from Agag, who is the king of of Amalek, as we had discussed in the past. Second might be that it is a family name in Parsit, in Persian. Or thirdly, it's possible that he's called Agagi to insinuate his wickedness, as you might call someone an Amaleki, he was called an Agagi. But nonetheless, Haman becomes a person of status with the opening of Peregimel. Pasuk Bet. And all of the servants of the king that were in his courtyard, they would bow down to Haman. Lichroa korim means to bow down at the knees, and mishtachavim is full out bowing down with your face to the floor lying down. So they showed complete subservience to Haman in his new status. This was a decree from the king that people had to bow down to Haman. Did not bow down either at the knees or with complete hishtachavaya. It appears based on the next pasuk that the reason why Mordechai did not bow down was because his religious beliefs, obviously being a Yehudi, precluded him from bowing down to another human being. And the other servants of the king who were in the courtyard would say to Mordechai Madua, why? And the Lashon Madua is a question that comes also with a sense of ge'ara, with a sense of condemnation. Why are you violating the command of the king? Not only are you disrespecting Haman, you're also disrespecting the king because it was the king's decree that you have to bear down to Haman. And so they are questioning Mordechai. So I actually read Vayihi Be'omram. That is the way it is written in the Megillah, but it's actually supposed to be read Vayihi Ke'omram. It's a Kriuktiv. It's written one way. It's written with a bit, but it is read with a kaf. Vayihi Ke'omram Elav, Yom Vayom. And the servants, those who were bowing down to Haman, 
would say to Mordechai every single day that went by that he was not listening to Mordechai. And they went and they told Haman that the reason why Mordechai was not bowing down, that being that he was a Yehudi, to have it tested and see whether or not Mordechai would uphold his beliefs despite the fact that now that Haman knows and is taking notice, he would be putting his life in danger. Would Mordechai be willing to put his religious beliefs before his own life? And Pasuk He continues, And Haman noticed that in fact Mordechai was not bowing down to him, he was upholding his belief system despite the danger that it may be imposing. And Haman is filled with anger. And as I believe we mentioned once before, Haman is a character that we see throughout the Megillah who is very much persuaded by his emotions. He's a person who becomes very emotional very quickly and he allows his emotions to take over everything that he does. And at the end, that is what is his fatal flaw. Pasuk Vav, Vayivez Be'enav, a little bit of a reminiscent of Esav with the Bechorah, Vayivez Be'enav, Lishloa Echad Mordechai Levado, Ki Higidu Lo Et Am Mordechai, Vayivakesh Amal Hashmid Et Kol HaYehudim, Asher Bechol Machud HaShverosh Am Mordechai. And it was not enough, it was disgusting almost, it was horrible in Haman's eyes only to take his anger out on Mordechai, but rather he wanted to destroy all of the Jewish people that were in the provinces of Achashverosh, the nation of Mordechai. Again, a testament to the fact that Haman is not in control of his emotions. He allows the fact that he's angry with one person completely take over him, and now he wants to destroy the entire Jewish people because, Ham- because Mordechai refused to bow down to him. And the last pasuk of the section says, B'chodesh HaRishon Chodesh Nisan, and it was in the first month, which is, of course, the month of Nisan. In the 12th year of the king Ahasuerus, he peeled poor. So Haman casts a lottery, and the word poor seems to be a word that is not uh, not Hebrew, it's Akhadit, and it's written here in the text because eventually the holiday becomes Purim, so it's important to know the word, but Huha Goral, the, the Pasuk qualifies that Pur is a Goral, that word we know is a lottery. He went to a Kosim, some kind of witch, some kind of black magic person, and he casts a lottery to figure out on which day he would destroy the Jewish people. And that lottery would find out not only the day, but the month that he would be that he would be destroying the Jewish people. Start of section two begins in Pasuk Het. And Haman, of course, takes his anger to the king, and he says, there is a unique nation, one nation, a unique nation, who are scattered amongst the nations, 
the fact that he uses double lashon mifuzara mifurad is to highlight the fact that they are tremendously scattered, mifuzad, implying that they are scattered amongst the different provinces, and mifurad, that even within the provinces that they exist, they are also separated. So they are doubly scattered. They are scattered amongst the, the Medinot themselves, and they are scattered amongst the Medinot. And they are also, of course, scattered and different than everybody else. As he says, They are different. Their value systems, their beliefs, the way their way of life is very different, very strange than everybody else. And they're not following the ways of the king, which is insinuating, of course, that Mordechai is not bowing down to Haman. He doesn't say it explicitly, but that seems to be the insinuation. And it does not pay for the king to keep them as they are. They should be dealt with. And therefore, Im al ha-melech pasuk zai, pasuk tet, Im al ha-melech tov yikatev le-abedam, ve'aseret alafim ki karkesef eshkol alidei oseh ha-melecha lehavi el gintzeh ha-melech. And therefore, if it finds favor in the eyes of the king, which is again reminiscent of some of the language that was used earlier in the Megillah, when he was suggesting what to do with Vashti, if it finds favor in the eyes of the king, a decree should be written to destroy them. And 12,000 kikar kesef I will weigh through this work to add to the treasury of the king. The Megillah does not clarify exactly what Haman meant when he said that this is going to be a money-making matter, how that's going to happen or what exactly he meant. Perhaps it means that he was going to buy the rights from the king to do what he wants with the Jews, or perhaps, as some explain, that he was going to actually enlist people who would be so willing to kill the Jewish people that they would be willing and paying customers to be part of this militia, of this army, of this war against the Jewish people. But nonetheless, it is a deal for the king to destroy the Jewish people and at the same time make money. Pasuk Yod. And the king removes his ring from his hand and he gives it to Haman. And here Haman is called by the full title. Haman ben Hamedata Ha'agagit, Sorer Ayudim, the enemy of the Jewish people. It's at this point in time that Haman steps into the role as the enemy. He gets that ring. And at that point in time, he now has full reign to do what he wants to do against the Jewish people. Of course, he writes the decree, and at this moment, he becomes Tzorer HaYehudim, as is accentuated by the Pasuk here. The king says to Haman, keep the money, and you can do what you want with the nation. Whatever you want to do, whatever seems good in your eyes, you can do. So the king gives him carte blanche, not only to keep the money, but to destroy the, destroy the nation of the Jewish people. Again, as we had mentioned, another character trait in the Sefer, the Hashverosh seems to be someone who is very gullible, who does not really have much of a backbone. He is very whimsical, and he goes with what's out there. And here as well, we can see that he's very easily misguided, very easily convinced to destroy the Yehudim. He doesn't know any of the details. It just says La'abedam. He doesn't know what that entails. He doesn't even know who the people are. He doesn't know what Haman necessarily is going to do. But nonetheless, he gives in and allows Haman to have carte blanche to do whatever he wishes to do with the Jewish people. 
פסוק י"ב, ויקראו סופרי המלך בחודש הראשון בשלושה עשר יום בו, ויכתב ככל אשר ציווה המן את אלא חשתה על פני המלך ואלא פחות אשר על מדינה ומדינה ואסרי עם ועם מדינה ומדינה ככתבה ועם ועם כלשונו בשם המלך אחשוורוש נכתב ונחתם בטבעת המלך. And they called in the scribes of the king in the first month, that again is Nisan, בשלושה עשר יום בו on the thirteenth day. Why on the thirteenth day? So it could possibly be either that for the first twelve days of the month, Haman was dealing with the poor and convincing Achashverosh, and by the time he was able to get what he wanted, it was the thirteenth day of the month, and on that day they're calling in the scribes to write the decree. Or there are those that explain that the Bavlim believed that the 13th of the month was an ominous day that would be muskal l'hatzlachai, would be a, uh, foretelling their own success. And so he chose the 13th to write down this decree as it would be sent out to the nations to enjoy the Jewish people. And they wrote all that Haman had told over. Again, Achashverosh is not here. Haman is calling the shots. And these letters would go out to all of the high-ranking officers and the provincial leaders and the state leaders, the mayors, the governors, the state's people, the legislation. All of those levels of people would be aware of what was happening in each province. Each province, of course, written in its own language and its own mikhtav, its own writing, so that everybody was very clear as to what this decree was. And that letter was written in the name of the king, even though he didn't write it, and it seems to be he wasn't even there when it was written, and it is sealed with the ring of the king, which of course becomes a problem, because as we will read later on, once a decree goes out with the signature and seal of the king, it cannot be rescinded. Pasuk Yudgimel continues, V'nishloach sefarim biyad aratzim el kol medinot ha-melech lehashmid, laharog ulabed et kol ha-yudim, minar v'ad zaken, taf v'nashim biyom ehad, and the decree was sent out with the mailmen, so to speak, with the people who would be running it out on horseback, and to all of the provinces of the king to utterly destroy and obliterate and kill the Jewish people. Clearly, the fact that three different languages are used to destroy or to kill shows that it was meant by Haman to be an utter obliteration, an utter destruction of the Jewish people. At kol hayodim, from young to old, men, women, and children, all in one day. Haman wanted to, com- to conduct a complete genocide of the Jewish people on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and they were able to take the spoils, which seems to be a way to try and convince the people to be part of this destruction, that if they destroyed, if they killed the Jewish people, they would be able to take the booty, they would be able to take the spoils of that destruction. And again, it happens to be on the 13th of Adar, which is the date of the Pur that fell uh, as per Haman when he was trying to figure out on what day to destroy the Jewish people. And copies of this decree went out to every province, to every area, to make it absolutely known that people should prepare themselves for this ominous day on which Haman would be leading a destruction of the Jewish people. Pasuk Tetvav, which is the last Pasuk of the Perek, 
says, Haratim yatsu de chofim bidvar ha-melech, v'hadad nitenna b'shushan ha-bira, v'hamelech v'haman yashvu lishtot, v'ha'ini shushan navocha. And the Ratzim, the runners, the people who would be bringing out the letters, went out very quickly with this word, with this decree of the king, and the word that would be reaching all of the provinces, got to Shushan, it seems to be it got to Shushan first, which would make sense because that was the capital city. And the king and Haman are sitting pretty. They sit down to drink, thinking that they have taken care of the Jewish problem. They have they figured out the final solution to this problem of the Jews. And the city of Shushan is confused. Even the even the non-Jews of the city seem to be up in arms, seem to be short and distraught and distressed over this decree calling for a mass murder of the Jewish people. So in Peregimel, we saw again the fact that Haman refused. Well, we saw that Haman was given a promotion, and as such, he was also backed by the king with a decree that everybody had to bow down to him. Mordechai refuses to bow down to him in flaring Haman's anger and rage, not only against Mordechai, but against the entire Jewish people to the point where he, he wants to wipe them off the map. He puts together a decree convincing Achashverosh to allow him to do so. And that decree would be taking effect on the 13th of Adad as per the lottery that was cast to figure out when this mass murder would happen.